Hello, welcome. It's another podcast, a long one, maybe. We'll see. See how it goes. But uh, the the usual uh, toughness crew is not here. You know, they're all cowards and they ducked me. Not very tough of them, wouldn't you say, Zach? Obviously, they're failing. We they're see. Failing we, s- we see who is uh, who's outlasting the others. Uh huh. Yeah. The gable. Right. The gable boys. Yeah, exactly. I have a great track record. I'm very consistent. I'm, yeah, my uh, my high school award on the wrestling team was Marathon Man because uh, my nose got broken really badly pretty early in the season. I spent a lot of time in the treadmill because I didn't give up working. <laughs> no, it was just because I broke the treadmill. That's why they gave me the name. But I digress. Anyway, we're super tough for uh, for being here. And uh, we're joined by uh, Gil Gardado, who is going to help us talk about our specific topic for today, something we alluded to in the past. Uh, we're going to be talking about strength and conditioning and just generally training uh, for MMA, maybe combat sports in general. We'll see how far out we get. Uh, but yeah, before we get started, just want to give our guests a chance to introduce themselves. Zach, I know that you've, you know, you're, the audience is probably familiar with you and you are a staff member of the Fight Set, of course, but you want to uh, say hi. Hello. Also, <laughs> outside of my MMA career and uh, my most important job being a contributor for the Fight Site, before I was fighting full time, I was uh, like like the head strength and conditioning coach at like a local high school in Philadelphia. Uh, basically just ran the gym for athletes and just the general population. And then I was a, an assistant at Drexel University, really helping train all the athletes there. And they were all division one. It was a division one program. I mean, it wasn't a school that prioritized athletics, especially, I would say. But uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I dealt with the wrestlers, but I dealt with really like uh, training every team there. But then once I started uh, having enough success in MMA and I could start to uh, dial back one job and then two jobs, I eventually took that route. So uh, so that's my strength and conditioning background for you guys. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's good. I didn't know all of that. I knew that you did it, but the whole timeline was was fuzzy. So thanks. Uh, we're definitely going to dive into that a bit more. And uh, I'm also joined by Gil Gordado from Extreme Couture. Uh, Dan Tom connected us. Dan Tom couldn't be here because his house is falling apart. Uh, but he'll be back eventually. I know you guys have missed him. He was on like all of our panels for a while. And now it's we're going to get him back. Don't worry. I'm going to stay on him. Uh, but Gil, do you want to introduce yourself to the people? Uh, yeah, like you said, I'm the uh, head strength and conditioning coach at Extreme Couture. I've been there as a coach now for going on eight years. I've been there as an athlete for the last 13. I'm part of the pro fight team over there. I have a pro record of five and three still active. I haven't fought in a little while, but I'm looking to get back in there pretty soon. Uh, when eight knows an amateur, uh, not too different from Zach. I started, uh, strength and conditioning at my old high school. Once my brother started wrestling there, uh, I took over their strength and conditioning program while I was studying for my first uh, training certification, uh, ended up going to work for 24 hour fitness, became a master trainer, ended up going independent after a couple of years of doing that. And, uh, Eventually found my way uh, into a coaching spot at Extreme Couture after Jake Bonacci, who was the strength and conditioning coach before me, uh, left to move out of state, recommended me for the job. And here I am. Awesome. Awesome. I, and I didn't know about your uh, fight experience. I have two fighters and two strength and conditioning coaches. Uh, so we covered the full spectrum of what we need. And you guys both have a variety of uh, clients you've worked with and, and different types of people. So that's going to be very informative. So I'm, I'm super happy about that. Um, we're definitely going to get into, if you guys are cool to share specifics of what do these programs look like, you know, what, what should people be doing and stuff like that. But I also want to start with, you know, broader trends, concepts, uh, you know, bigger, bigger picture ideas, which is something we've been doing a lot in these past few podcasts. And it's, uh, it's difficult 
for sure to pin those down, but definitely worthwhile. So um, let's just talk overall, overall trends. Um, I guess, starting with MMA, uh, how big of a part of the actual structure of a gym typically, you know, maybe you can speak specifically to the gyms you've been at is strength and conditioning. Is it something that's built into, you know, training or is it something that fighters seek out on their own? Neither one of you can go. I'm sorry. <laughs> you want to go, Gil? Go for it. Um, at our, at our gym, it's not part of the structure as far as like the whole team dynamic goes. Um, everybody at our gym, we have structured practices for the pros for sparring, um, you know, for drilling sessions, things like that. Um, Monday, Friday, there's a morning practice. A lot of pros can get together and drill together, uh, afternoons, Monday through Thursday, we do a pro practice and every day is a different, uh, emphasis Tuesdays and Thursdays we spar Mondays we do small glove grappling uh wall wrestling things like that and then Wednesdays is kind of just a straight wrestling day um the rest of the week is really up to all the individual fighters now a lot of them will get together and they will train together they'll structure their program together so that way they have enough bodies and enough people and different looks and enough motivation and social support that they can uh do all the things that they need to do day in and day out. We have a group of coaches that will communicate with each other um, depending on whether or not they're part of a fighter's camp or how big a part they are of the camp. Um, but there's no overall like complete structure for all the fighters of Extreme Couture. Every fighter is pretty much responsible for themselves. Um, the coaches are there to assist in any way that we can. It's not like going to some other MMA gyms where like, if you're part of the team, you're training at this day, at this time with this coach and these people you're lifting and conditioning on these days. Um, you know, it's, a, it's a little bit of a different setup there. We do run classes throughout the day for, uh, all of our members, whether they're fighters or they're, whether they're regular people. Um, and those classes will vary depending on the day and the time, uh, striking grappling wrestling there are strength and conditioning classes that are on the schedule uh i run all of the strength and conditioning classes at extreme couture currently and we get a wide variety that of people that jump into those classes they might be people that have never worked out a day in their lives and then sometimes the pros will jump in and depending on where they're at in their career and maybe they can't afford uh private training or, or a structured program or something like that 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 might be the only way that they get their strength and conditioning is by jumping into those classes. So I try to do my best to uh, communicate with these guys, communicate with the coaches that they're working with, try to see if someone's going to be working with me on strength and conditioning, I want to make sure that we're not doing too much. I don't want to make sure that we're not covering the same bases that other people might already be covering. I want to make sure that, that we're, we're filling the empty bucket, so to speak. Uh, mm -hmm. I want to make sure that we're giving them the things that they aren't getting enough of already. So that way they're, covering all their bases they're more fully prepared for the things that they need to do come fight them okay so it sounds like your approach is a lot different than if i handed you a person who you know had no experience in combat sports and like no athletic base and i said make this person into a professional fighter and you have unlimited time and you could do what you wanted with them in terms of structuring all of their you know how much time they're dedicating to each thing that would be a different look than what you do now where it's people are coming to you you're getting an assessment of what they're doing already and seeing what you need to add and what you have space to add. Is that accurate? Yeah. I mean, I, I do train uh, private clients as well. I will do a whole fighter strength and conditioning uh, for their entire camp. Taylor Gardado, for example, my sister-in-law, she just fought in PFL. I actually handled her strength and conditioning for the entire fight camp. Um, I've worked with a lot of our other pros doing that. 
so yeah, it, it's a different dynamic depending on whether they're part of that group structure or they're part of the uh, private training structure. The group structure, we just kind of kind of throw them into the mix. Um, I've been doing this a long enough time to where I can watch people move and I can ask them some key questions and, and get enough baseline information and make sure that what they're doing isn't going to injure them. And then uh, we can kind of keep an eye on them as they go and we can progress and regress exercises as needed for that individual. When we're, that's in the group class, when we're doing this with an individual person, it's much easier to narrow down exactly what it is they need. We can go through a, a full activity readiness questionnaire. We can go through an entire assessment and really zero in on what that athlete needs for that specific task. Makes sense. Makes sense. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, so Zach, same, same question as from the start. I might've forgotten it partially, uh, but basically, you know, what, what is the role of strength conditioning in the gyms that you've been a part of? Um, you know, how often is it happening? Who's handling it? Is it how much of it's on you? How much of it's structured? Basically that, that same dynamic. Yeah, I think it's pretty similar. I would say I've never been to a gym where it's like an ingrained part of the, the system you're training, you know, every, every fighter is going to kind of dictate their own schedule. And, uh, you know, uh, obviously when there's like pro fighter training and stuff, that's, that's a priority for them to make, but, but it's very individual based, like who's going to make it to what times, um, like TriStar, TriStar has like, there's weights and there's some fitness equipment, but there's no strength and conditioning coach that operates out of there. Now for us kind of takes on that role. And like, he has, uh, he, he tries a lot of different stuff. He follows a lot of different things. He likes to experiment with stuff and he kind of tries to guide uh, us through what he thinks. But a lot of the guys go and train elsewhere and do their strength and conditioning at other places like Adrenaline, which is run by John Chainberg. And um, some people go to like a physical therapy, the physical therapy place we have in Montreal is really good replay. And I mean, it's obviously more of a rehabilitation based view and like staying healthy over performance enhancement. But uh, I don't know. Everyone kind of does, does their own thing uh, where I'm at. So, mm -hmm. and I think it's been like that, like, so because I had my background in, in conditioning, I basically kind of just did my own stuff. And then people would kind of follow me. Like, so my old gym in Philly, there was also no strength and conditioning area. There was no real fitness equipment. So people would follow me and like, ask me what I'm doing for my track work and my conditioning. And I would get the occasional guys who are like, the amateurs or the, or the young pros coming up behind me, kind of following me around and just figuring out what I do and how I like to do it. They didn't have access to like, I always had access to Drexel university when I was in Philly. So, cause I was still like really good friends with the strength coach. And I used to be an employee there and I was a, a, a favorite alumni. So uh, I had access to, to, to great facilities and stuff. Um, but it's never been a part of like the gym I'm training at directly. So, uh, I don't know how, I don't know what else to, what else yeah. to do. Yeah. No, that, that's always what I assumed, but you never know. Cause you, you see basically my, my exposure to what strength and conditioning is like for fighters is what they post on Instagram. Right. And there's never context of what, when is this happening? Who is this with? Is this, you know, prescribed by your coaches? Does you going out on your own? And it seems like most of it is, you know, just individualized people seeing what they need and asking experts and going to different places. And, uh, it sounds very similar to how fighters handle the majority of their training uh, these days, where it's just a lot of self-prescription of, of what you think you need. And if it's not in the gym that you're at, you have to go somewhere else. Um, so we can patch, patchwork, everywhere. patchwork. Yeah. yeah. 
Uh, sounds expensive, but <laughs> uh, basically, before we you know get into ideas of like what should it be like, uh, you know, in an ideal world, because I think that's a, a good concluding uh, topic. But before that, let's 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 dive into some specifics. So, let's say you have a pro fighter. They they come to your to your gym. Let's say that uh, Zach, like you're in Gill's role, for instance, or uh, let's say you're just doing the same thing you're doing for the Drexel athletes, but you're doing it. Uh, for, for MMA fighters at TriStar now, uh, what are you looking for in terms of, you know, what what lifts should they be doing? What programs should they be on? Like, what are what are some basic ideas of what you think every pro fighter should be doing? Or does it really vary from individual? I mean, like, so as just a general statement, so some of the criticisms we would get mostly from the wrestlers, <laughs> to be honest, was that like when we would run them through uh, our strength conditioning program, which is a bit specialized for wrestling they would they would come in and a lot of times they would see like we would have listed like the the workouts of the day for each sport and they would be like how come our workout is so similar to them when when are we going to do a, a wrestling workout i was like and i would always have to like you're going to do a wrestling workout in the wrestling room and here you're going to do a strength conditioning workout you know and they kind of never grasp that like like humans are humans so we have to train train very similarly now there's specific things that different sports require over others and will will tilt people in that direction i think mma is really interesting because it's like like there is no like uh like one body type or one type of attribute that applies around the board so it, it really would be dependent on their their genetic like what i view as, as their genetic makeup their style like their performance style how they fight what their weaknesses are how, like one of the, one of the things I would I think it's pretty hard to decide is like how much to continue developing their strengths versus versus working on their weaknesses because there's advantages to both but you're going to spend time in one area or the other I don't have a good answer for when it's too much one way or the other mm-hmm. so I think it's really individually dependent on what I would be looking for obviously they're going to develop full body strength I'm going to have them do pulling and pushing and squatting and hip and some type of hinge or hip, or hip extension stuff. But I mean, it's going to really, how I structure it, how I, how I set up their, uh, their like the focus of like what block we're in, whether it's like, if they're trying to gain weight, we're in hypertrophy or strength or more endurance space. It's going to be like, I'm going to tilt more dependent on what their style is basically. And when, what their genetics is. So it's, it's not so clear cut really it's like mm-hmm. here's a cookie here's a program for everyone like that doesn't really exist at least not a good one i don't think mm-hmm. i definitely want examples but first i want to hear from gill so same question like what are some basics that you think are pretty universal and what are some things that might differ based on individuals uh i just want to say real quick i like zach already because i'm <laughs> i'm kind of on the same page as this guy man um you know i'll show people some of the workouts that i do sometimes and it looks on paper for most people in the beginning, very, 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 very basic. And it's all very similar. I set up my programs very similar way. We push, we pull, we squat, we hinge, we lunge, we do all that kind of stuff. And those are just basic human movement patterns that everybody with two arms and two legs is going to be able to do. Um, So we'll get those questions sometimes too. It's like, oh yeah, this is good. Like, you know, general strength workout, but when are we going to do like the MMA workouts? Especially with, in funny too, uh, a lot of MMA fighters, you get with a lot of guys that have been doing this for a long time. And like you said, they do their strength conditioning in a very patchwork manner. 
And it's surprising how many guys that are really deep into their careers that have never, ever, ever had a structured strength and conditioning program. And when you finally show them what a structured program looks like, they just kind of look at you like, that's it. Like, that's all you got. So, you know, it's, uh, it's kind of like with wrestling with MMA, that there's a, a basic idea of what kinds of, of strength and what kinds of power and what kinds of conditioning that we will need kind of across the board. But body types and fighting styles and uh, length of the fights, whether it's a championship fight or, or not, whether it's an amateur fight or a pro fight, that's going to play into the development and the, and the process a little bit. Those are the kind of things that are going to determine the differences in the program from one person to the next. But the skeleton structure over, you know, what does a hypertrophy program look like? What does a strength program look like? What does a power program look like? The programs that I write are going to be very, very similar in the way that they're structured from top to bottom, from how we warm up to how we condition at the end. Um, and then depending on the individual, their experience, their injury history, movement assessment, um, that's going to kind of determine the, the little things, the nuts and bolts, what variation of exercises are we going to be doing? What do the rest periods need to look like sets, reps, all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And how long have you been with extreme couture doing this? As a strength and conditioning coach, eight years. Eight years. I think you said that in the beginning. Mm -hmm. Extreme couture athletes are very well-conditioned. It's <laughs> something I've noticed. Um, mm -hmm. You know, very physical fighters, very well-conditioned. Um, always like, that's, you know, a lot of power punchers coming out of there. But also I think athletes are kind of, kind of gravitate toward it who might be predisposed to being those types of athletes because, you know, a lot of wrestlers come through because of the name um, and also, you know, just the, the coaching that can be offered. But uh yeah it just seems pretty consistent like whenever i try to think of extreme couture fighters in my head they're always jacked uh, <laughs> so i think that's a a consistent thing and um yeah it seems like do, do you feel like you work with most of the high profile fighters that have come through in that time um i've worked with some of them i i don't get to work with all of them because you get some of these guys that are more high profile they're usually making more money and they can usually they can afford to spend stuff, that money yeah. <laughs> anywhere like you know my structure is limited i'm only one guy um you know so sometimes they'll go and they'll they'll pay for a coach who's only going to work with them. Um, you know, in Las Vegas, we have the UFC performance Institute right. and the performance Institute is open to all of those fighters. So a lot of guys will go there to get their training because it's kind of built into their contract. They don't really even have to pay for it. As far as I know, um, I might be wrong on that, but yeah, that's, that's right. Yeah. So, you know, when, <laughs> when someone like the UFC performance Institute is offering training for free, like, you know, I'm not even going to try to compete at that point. If you want to train me, great. Uh, but I charge a fee. If you want to go to the PI, you know, you're kind of, you're kind of slave to their structure over there, but, uh, and their, their time limits, but it, you know, if it's available to you, might as well use it. Mm -hmm. And how much do you know about what they're doing over there at the, at the PI? Is it similar stuff? Is it more specialized? Whenever I see like whatever they, they put online in terms of footage always seems like really gimmicky stuff. Um, like, I don't know uh, if you guys do anything like this, but a lot of the times I think like American top team fighters and things like that, they do the thing where they're like doing, they're grabbing the lights, the lights come up, they're doing the, the reflexes. Yeah, um, they got the board. Yeah. yeah. Do you do anything like that? Is it more simple, you know, basic strength and condition? Do you have anything uh, fancy, Zach? I know you said that uh, Frost likes to try a lot of new things. Have you guys experimented with stuff like that? That's just what I imagine. I'm like, oh, we have to stay at the art facility. I'm like, I bet it's a lot of gimmicky stuff. <laughs> uh no we don't have any of that stuff i mean george george has like uh uh worked with some neurologists and stuff that have shown him some stuff and he like at his private gym he had like a uh 
like a circle of he did he would do like these eye exercises that were very unique and i he showed me them and they were interesting i like though <laughs> but i didn't really get deep into that i mean no we don't re- we don't really have yeah. anything like and probably not realistic for a lot of fighters to uh, to be doing that <laughs> it's not the best use of their resources considering how limited they are um but yeah, I, I would definitely be interested in hearing more about what goes on there because uh, it is really interesting that you hear so much about it and like you see see it in, in video and stuff like that. But it's all the UFC representing it. Uh, so I, think Lo- of- I think Lomachenko started all that. Like everyone got mm-hmm. really into it after they saw Lomachenko yeah. stacking his little blocks and counting like looking yeah. at numbers and doing all these brain tests between the physical exercises. I think everyone was just like, that's what I'm doing. Yeah. yeah. Listen, listen, back in the day, I was like, Fedor swinging a sledgehammer? Give me that sledgehammer. <laughs> do you still do stuff like that? Like hitting hitting the tire with the hammer? I haven't done that in a very long time. What do you I think do about that? You're shaking that. your head, Gil. I do none of that. <laughs> I'm I'm we have three tires in our gym, and some of the guys will still use them. And uh I will I will allow it, but uh I don't partake in any of it myself. I uh I just think it's, uh, I, I see people swinging the sledge. Sorry if I'm a little distracted. My son okay. is uh, trying to get my attention. Um, yeah, I, I, I just think the risk reward ratio for the majority of people is just a little too skewed. I, mm-hmm. I, I think there are much better things that we could be doing with it. Uh, I see people flipping the tire to me. They just look like shitty deadlifts and <laughs> I'm just thinking, well, why don't we just deadlift? Cause we could change the range of motion. We could change the weight. We could change this, you know, a couple different things to make that deadlift fit that individual we don't really need to be flipping a tire if the tire flip doesn't look the way that I would prefer it to look. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So here's a question. Uh, with regard to both, both strength and conditioning, uh, they, I do feel they are separate categories uh, in, in some capacities. Is it enough to just do your, your strength and conditioning work with specific exercises? Or do you feel like you need to build in uh, specific endurance training or specific resistance training that is the motion of your of your sport? Uh, so do you, do you need to do MMA-based exercises? You know what I mean? Like when the wrestlers say, when are the wrestling workouts? Like, is it okay to just focus on skill in your training and do a little sparring and take care of all your physical stuff outside of that uh, environment? The thing is, the thing is, the fight training is also the physical training. Mm-hmm. Like, like that's the thing. Like, what are you going to do? Go wrestle the weights? or, or yeah. Like, you, you, you're working on, on, like, a specific system. Like, I'm working on developing strength. Or power and I'm certainly I'm going to take into consideration movement patterns and what what I think is important or conditioning I'm working on aerobic capacity or I'm working on interval stuff and and monitoring my recovery but you don't I mean I think the more specific the training like you should fight training is always the priority and the fight training is the physical training the other stuff is only supplemental like I'm not getting all my most of my conditioning is done in fight training. Okay. I only supplement a little bit with some extra stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. So I don't, I, I wouldn't view it like that. Like, you know, you're not going to go like, like remember old school Sean Shirk on like those uh, countdowns where he had like a crazy circuit. I, I used to get into that too. I was like, this is it. <laughs> what kind of stuff was he doing? I mean, like it was like a crazy routine. I think, I I don't know. He did like, it was like five. Yeah. It was like five, five minute rounds. And like every minute was a different exercise. And it was all like fight specific type move. I know exactly what you're talking about. I was just talking about the bands, like going upside down, climbing, like, like, uh, like a, like a tightrope on his feet or up, like 
slamming med balls, running on the incline trail. I'm like, ah. I was like, mm-hmm. this is it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. And like when I when I imagine like uh, so, let's talk about something simple like running for instance. Uh, so if you're going to run as part of your training and you have an amateur fight and it's three, three minute rounds, should you run in three minute intervals with one minute breaks and, and mimic the, the cardiovascular, you know, the, the system, you know, the structure of, of your competition, or are there other benefits to doing training in different ways or should you only prepare within the time that you're going to have to be active? Um, you know, the energy system requirements for MMA are, a little different um sorry guys i apologize my daughter's yeah. trying to get my attention zach if you want to go ahead and step in for a second it's <laughs> okay yeah yeah uh what, what were we, oh yeah so running wanna, so no you don't just want to do a three minute run three, three. i mean you might <laughs> huh three three minute runs three three minute runs i mean i'm not saying you shouldn't do that but you need more than that like it's not mm. a fight isn't one pace for three minutes like there is like intense moments it's like mini sprints and then recoveries but there's longer scrambles so like that's what i think what he was going to say is uh you know in wrestling or in fighting you need a variety of energy systems to work like you need the aerobic system but you need you need uh the anaerobic stuff too because a lot of it i i lean much heavier towards the interval stuff because most of it is like, like when I'm chilling between bursts, that's not where, where I need to, uh, that's not, that's like, that's like your recovery time, you know, uh-huh. like for for us said it in a really smart way, the way I thought he's like, he's like people progress in their conditioning by going, doing things, doing like more intense sprints, like faster 100s or quicker or, or higher RPMs on the bike or whatever, for whatever time blocks. And then they also do more volume, but really what we need is, is you're already, your, your sprints are already going to be really hard. So what you need is more density. Like you need be able to be able to do more work within that time, you know, but it's not easy to, to do that. Like you need to recover. So I don't know. Mm-hmm. Do you, do you run as part of your training? Unfortunately, I have a bad hip, so I can't run anymore. Mm-hmm. I, used to. I used to i used to run a lot i used to do a lot of sprints on the track a variety of distance and i would run you know from time to time but mostly sprints but but now unfortunately i can't i have to swim to swim and do bike sprints now do you notice a difference in your conditioning by by switching methods no i don't think so because it's uh because the fight training is the bulk of it of all the 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 fight training is the bulk of this is all the skill training and the bulk of the physical conditioning strength and, 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 uh, endurance in my opinion. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, uh, TJ Dillashaw said he doesn't, he doesn't do any road work because he feels like he moves his feet enough when he's like hitting pads and training normally. Uh, I feel like he doesn't need to add it in. He does other, other specific types of cardio. Uh, well, when, Gil, when you, when you yeah. do EPO, you know, it's, uh, yeah. yeah. Really... <laughs> uh, Gil, how do you feel about, uh, how about road work and running? There. Do you, do you, uh, prescribe that to your, to your athletes? Road work? Yeah. Nope. No running? Nope. Not at all. So what are they doing for their, their cardio? Um, we, we run, but we don't do road work. We'll do more in the form of, uh, interval training, um, 
sprints, outdoor sprints with sleds. Uh, you know, we'll do track work if guys prefer to do track work. But as far as running miles and miles on the road, none, none whatsoever. Mm-hmm. They'll the, still uh, do it. Like guys that. will still do it because it's it's hard to get that out of guys' systems if they've they've been doing it for a long part <laughs> of their careers. Or if they're working with other coaches and they're listening to too many people and, you know, they're working with an old school boxing or an old school Muay Thai guy that says, nope, you got to be running your three to eight miles every single day because that's what the training entails. It's just hard to get that out of guys' uh, system sometimes. Um, But me personally, no, I don't prescribe it. I think there's way more effective forms of energy system development that we can do aside from more work as long as guys have that aerobic base built. Now, if uh, I'm sorry, I apologize. I have a toddler who's okay. asking for gummy bears. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, if, if a guy or a girl has very poor aerobic development, then I will um, prescribe some type of aerobic capacity work. And that might entail running if the athlete likes to run. If the athlete mm-hmm. doesn't like to run, we'll, we'll do swimming, we'll do biking, we'll do rowing, we'll do um, aerobic capacity circuits that could be with exercise equipment that could be with body weight, um, all sorts of different tools like ropes and medicine balls and not necessarily the sledgehammer and the tire, unless the fighter is just really adamant about it. But <laughs> even then I try to talk them out of it. That's good. How about Gil? How about if, uh, like if like weight making weight is a huge priority, like they have a lot of weight to lose. Do you, uh, like, get them to do more long, slow, steady state cardio type stuff or, or what, how do you deal with that? The first thing that I usually look at if a fighter's too heavy is, um, one body composition. I mean, I need to see where, where that weight's coming from. If a fighter is carrying a lot of muscle, but they're already super lean, like single digit body fat, then I would question whether or not they're fighting in the right weight class. Um, at that point though, if we do a body composition analysis and it looks like carrying a little bit too much body fat, then I would take a look at their nutrition. I would see what their diet is like, how many calories are they taking in every day? Uh, what their macro, uh, intake is like, and I would see what kind of adjustments we can make from there. Um, so that way they could start shedding weight, but still be able to maintain the, uh, the training output that they have at that point. If we look at the calorie profile and everything is fine, then, you know, we'd probably think about adding in a little bit more steady state endurance type training because that has been shown to lead to quicker weight loss than some other forms of training, yeah. but that wouldn't be my go-to nutrition would probably be number one, most likely about 95% of instances nutrition would be number one. Gotcha. I think the people I know that have to like cut a lot for camps, actually, now that I think about it, the people who recommend, I- I'm not one of these people, but the people that recommend they have to do like fasted cardio in the morning like long slow steady state are actually the nutritionists they have not the strength conditioning coach now that i think about it Hmm. i don't recommend fasted cardio either i don't recommend intermittent fasting i don't recommend fasted cardio i don't recommend anything that is kind of a gimmick for lack of a better term i'm i'm very very much a guy who enjoys the basics i think the basic works for everybody i think mastery comes from being brilliant at the basics and sticking with those basics over and over and over and over again and making small adjustments as we go. Sorry guys. My son wants to be in the interview. Um, What's up up, buddy? (laughs) Um, Yeah, it's uh, there's a lot of things that fighters are always doing to look for an edge, man. And they, they hear about something like intermittent fasting or they hear about uh, the keto diet or they hear about fasted cardio. And I get questions like that almost on a weekly basis. Coach, is this going to help me? Uh, maybe if you're already doing everything else perfect and, and everything is already dialed in and you're looking for maybe that one percentage, 
maybe, but it depends on what you're trying to get out of it. And then it just becomes a long conversation with the fighter. Like, what is it that you're really trying to accomplish here? And is there a better way to go about doing that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wasn't advocating. Yeah. No, no, no. Not at all. No, right. no. no. <laughs> yeah, you tell him, buddy. That's good to know. It's good to know. Circling back a bit to, to some of the stuff we talked about in the beginning, like your background as a uh, uh, wrestling strength and conditioning coach and for other athletes, but uh, what does a typical program look like uh, throughout the season for, for a wrestling team? And what are some of the differences you've noticed for what you need to do for MMA? I know the time, the time difference of the competition probably factors in. Yeah. I mean, like a wrestling season is so brutal. Right. Oh, man uh the programs for wrestling were, were to be honest we would it would be very short and sweet in season so like and that's that's another thing is like uh it's gonna need you the, for a sec Gil. for the collegiate sports it, it was it was pretty easy because we have a big off season to like develop a lot of a lot of uh attributes and teach them new things and like really build you know for like the traditional sports wrestling included like you know, like competitive season is, is four to six months out of the year. So you have six to eight months outside of that to help build your athlete between seasons. MMA is not like that because the competitions are sporadic. There is, there is off season, but you never know like when you're going to get a fight and it's you're back to in season. So you don't have like this uh, block, you know, you're going to have where you can like put time into developing, you know, putting on muscle or really upping your VO2 max or, or whatever kind of attribute you're going to, you're going to lean to do it. Um, sorry, that was a tangent. Where did, where was the coolest? No, that's, that's good. So I guess what some of the things I'm wondering in terms of specifics are, oh, uh, what does the what, program look like? Yeah. What is, does what changes more? Well, first of all, I'd like to know like what some of the specific exercise and what the volume is like, but is what changes season from the season to the off season? Is it more about like the type of training? Like, okay, we're doing, you know, higher rep, more sets now because we're putting on size or, or, you know, is it not like that? Well, generally not in wrestling because, I mean, it would be a rare wrestler that's like they would want to be going up in a weight class. So we would mm-hmm. maybe take them and put them, have, have put more hypertrophy blocks in their schedule than, you know, the other wrestlers who are basically o- only going to have to cut to their weight class. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, I, I think like the closer, so the way we did it at Drexel, this was a little, a long time ago, but we would like, once, once they get in season, it was like m- much shorter. Like we would hit one exercise for like push, pull, hinge, uh, squat, uh, and one explosive thing. And it would be low, low volume, usually low volume, all, always low volume, but usually low reps and like more strength power stuff. And then on the opposite side, it would be, there would be more endurance work on, on, on certain days, but we were like, obviously stay totally out of the hypertrophy range. So I don't know, but I mean, in MMA, uh, it's kind of the same in MMA. I think because you don't, so you don't know, you don't have a set block off season. You can get a fight and then all of a sudden you're in season, the in season like camp can be, also different ranges you might have 12 weeks notice you might have three weeks notice so like what you can do is always dependent um like i i get away the closer i get to the fight the more power and i do power stuff and endurance stuff and i get away from basically all all the other stuff when i don't have a fight i work on 
I'm not, I'm not really ever trying to put on weight. So I pretty much stay away from hypertrophy, but I try to build everything. And like when I'm not in camp, so. Mm-hmm. What are some, uh, some movements and exercises you do for power? And Gil, you can, you can weigh in on it as well. Uh, any kind of plyometric or Olympic lift. And I do, you know, like I'm not an Olympic lifter, so I'm not doing like <laughs> deep squat cleans from the floor with heavy weight. And like, I'm basically doing hang power cleans. Uh, even, even barbell snatch kind of doesn't, I don't, doesn't feel good on my shoulder. So I do dumbbell variations. If I'm going to do that medicine ball stuff, any kind of dynamic work like that. Even, uh, even working on just like, like multiple jumps. I've, I've thought about more recently. I got this from one of Mike Boyle's books where it's like the difference between power and elasticity, which is like the re- repetitive, uh, pop where like one guy who has one high vertical, maybe can't repeat it as many times as someone else. Not, a vertical isn't quite as high, but they can keep like, pop, which I think is probably more relevant to MMA. Mm-hmm. But so, so I, I actually like plyometrics better than Olympic lifting, but that's, that's me personally. I don't know. Makes sense. But, yeah. Yeah. What are, yeah. what are some other areas you think are important for fighters and what, what exercises specifically address those areas? Uh, again, I'm sorry. I missed a, a lot of uh, that guy. Cool. I have twin, to- I have twin toddlers happens. and they're, uh, we have like these gates in our house that like separate the dining room from the kitchen and all that. And they, they finally learned how to climb over them. So, you know, yeah. make my life a whole lot more interesting, especially because my wife's at work right now. It's just me with the kids right now. Um, You're doing good. Anyway. The, so the question you were asking, uh, exercises that are specific to fighting or mm-hmm. exercises that we use for our yeah, fighters. And, and what areas do they address like for fighters? So, uh, you know, the part of Zach's answer that I, that I did here, um, we're not too different. You know, I, um, I like that he referenced Mike Boyle. I'm a big Mike Boyle fan. I read all his books and, uh, you know, he mentioned Don Chainberg earlier and I'm a big fan of his work as well. So it sounds like a lot of our resources are, are similar. Um, yeah, we, we do, um, a lot of power development with our fighters. Power is a key quality for mixed martial arts. And again, that repetitive type of power, a lot of what you see in MMA in MMA is not single effort stuff. We need to be able to repeat that effort. Um, not just in single bursts, but also throughout the round and also throughout the fight. So things like power endurance, especially later phases of a training camp become very, very, uh, important, uh, lots of jumping technique and landing technique in the early phases of a program, and then getting into more of a repetitive balance, more speed, more height, more distance, uh, as we get into later phases of training, we will do Olympic lifting variations with our, uh, athletes. Um, we don't do full Olympic lifting variations either. We're, we're not really cleaning or snatching from the floor. We're not really snatching with any of these fighters. Most of them don't have the shoulders for it. Um, we do dumbbell snatching variations. We do cleans. If they can rack the bar in a front squat position, if they can't, we will do lots of variations of high pulls. Um, we have a jammer press at our gym, which is a squat rack with two big moving handles on the front. You can load plates on. So we do, do a lot of explosive presses with the jammer, a lot of explosive presses with uh, the landmine, which is that barbell attachment that goes into like a corner of a squat rack. Um, you know, there's lots of different ways that we can develop power. I personally do like Olympic lifts. Uh, I love teaching them. I love doing them. They're a lot of fun, but we have to take into account what the athlete can and cannot do, whether they don't have the technical knowledge to be able to do it, or they just don't have the physical capacity to be able to do it because of injuries, joint restrictions, things like that. So mm-hmm. we'll find exercises that the athletes can do as fast and as explosively as possible. Lots of squatting, lots of hinging, lots of lunging, 
push, pull, uh, core development, mostly for stability in the beginning phases and then stability with movement into our later phases. So make sure that we're bracing the core while the arms and legs are moving. Lots of loaded carries, lots of uh, plank variations where maybe weight is moving from one side to the other. We're dragging weights from side to side, lots of bear crawling variations. And then, um, lots of medicine ball throws for, for core power development, especially rotating through the hips and rotating through the shoulders. Uh, medicine ball training is definitely a staple in just about every program that I write for uh, mixed martial arts. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Gotcha. So for people that are, that are listening at home and saying like, Oh, I want to, you know, be conditioned for MMA or starting this, but I don't have access to the equipment. I don't have the equipment. What are some simple things that people can do to, to prepare themselves for these sim- same kind of exercises and, and movements, you know, without any equipment or without any, you know, expensive equipment? How about that? <laughs> body weight training has been a body weight training, man. Everyone's got body weight. Everyone can use it. Push-ups, squats, lunges, all sorts of core exercises can be done without any equipment. The only the only movement pattern that you really need equipment for to be able to do it uh, with any kind of regular intensity is you need to be able to some, have something to pull against. So having a pull-up bar, a TRX system, maybe even just something that you can hang on to. I've seen people take dog leashes and hang them up to something and be uh-huh. able to do rowing variations of dog leashes. Um, pulling is really the only one that for body weight exercises. You need some type of piece to pull towards. Other than that, most other major movement patterns can be covered with body weight training. Um, I'm still a huge advocate of resistance training up after athletes reach a certain point with body weight exercise because I've seen plenty of people get plenty strong with body weight only variations because they had no other equipment availability. They had no other experience. They didn't have a good coach to teach them that stuff. It is very, very possible to get strong doing body weight exercise, but it is also possible to get much stronger in a much more efficient fashion. If you do have strength training equipment and facilities and knowledgeable coaches at your disposal. Mm-hmm. Zach, do you have anything to add to that? No, you know that I mean, there's no, there's no secret, right? It's like, it's the first, like it, the question I thought was like, okay, the guy wants to get into MMA, but has no equipment. What's he going to start with? It's up. It's the, his answer. Gil's answer is the same for anyone who wants to do any sport and doesn't have equipment, which is, you know, all, all the right stuff. I agree with all of it. So we have push-ups, squats, push, pull, squat, hinge. Mm-hmm. What's what's an example of a body weight hinge exercise? Okay, okay. Any any kind of like uh, RDL variation, single leg, uh, straight leg deadlift, or Romanian deadlift, depending on what you call it. Mm-hmm. Uh, bridging variations would work really well there too. Anything where you're using your glutes and your hamstrings. So gotcha. yeah. yeah, that's that's good to know. That's good to know. I'm asking for myself also. Not that I don't have equipment, but I'm lazy. So. <laughs> That's that's good to know. All right, so let's let's sling some some mud uh, anonymously. Uh, what are some things you've seen at gyms that seem pretty common that you don't think are useful or are actually actively harmful for fighters? I think Zach kind of touched on it earlier um, before I got uh, pulled away, and it's uh, mimicking skills in the weight room. Mm-hmm. And I, I think fighters do way too much of that. If you want skill development, work on your skills, go to practice, do your drills, hit your pads. Um, that's where you're going to get the best skill development. That's where you're going to be able to translate the power 
and, and the strength and the movement that you, and the movement capacity that you have into the task that you're trying to do. Um, sure. In the weight room, we can mimic certain movement patterns to an extent safely. We can mimic certain, um, velocities and, and force vectors and all that kind of stuff, uh, to a certain extent before the risk to reward ratio becomes skewed in the, the wrong favor. Um, so that's the number one thing I, you know, guys trying to mimic too many skills in uh, strength and conditioning when they should be trying to do those skills to the best of their ability, um, the way that they're going to be done in the fight, which is with no extra resistance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think people just going to physical failure, not technical failure is a, is a problem. I see people doing way too much on a lot of exercises just because they're trying to like max out, but, like the risk is, is outweighing the benefit at this point when you can't keep good, good technique. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, anyone who kind of like, who, who follows some kind of like, I'm going to, I'm going to frame it through CrossFit, but anyone who follows like the way they structure their stuff, it's like cross training is a great idea. Like there's plenty of things you can take from, they do rowing and sprinting and Olympic lifting and and bodyweight stuff and gymnastics and rings. And that's all great. Like, I like all of it, but the way they structure it, it's like not about development and progression. It's about getting the highest number or getting the lowest time. So like you find all these ways to cheat, to get that goal instead of the actual goal, which is to get as strong as possible, mm-hmm. you know? So anytime, whether it's CrossFit or not, anytime you're structuring it towards that end, I think is a problem. Mm-hmm. here's another question do you see fighters that are successful that as far as you know don't do structured strength and conditioning i know uh, you mentioned uh, or one of you mentioned earlier that, that you had pros that you ended up working with who were pretty far into their career that never had a structured program but like they were probably still lifting and, and such on their own do you see people that like really just do the training in the gym and then they go out and they fight and that's that works for them yep all the time um <laughs> Problem is, though, you know, a lot of coaches and a lot of other fighters who just for whatever reason don't like strength training, they will uh, they'll prop those guys up like, oh, see, so and so got successful without doing it. So why can I be successful without doing it? I'm not saying you can't, but I'm saying you probably give yourself a better chance to be successful if you at least learn how to just move properly, at least for, you know, at least for the, the injury prevention benefits. If we learn how to, to take our body through full ranges of motion, if we keep those ranges of motion and make them strong and make them mobile, so that way we don't have movement related injuries from the stuff that we're doing in training and in fighting. I think that enough is a benefit, but that's enough of a benefit to learn how to do strength and conditioning properly. Mm-hmm. You don't need the, the biggest deadlift in the gym. You don't need the biggest squat or the biggest bench press in the gym, but everyone I think should have some type of knowledge of movement patterns and have a, a baseline lay, uh, level of movement capacity, a baseline level of strength, whether they want to achieve that through weightlifting or not, that's fine. But I mean, yeah, there's plenty of examples of fighters that don't follow a structured program. They still get plenty of it. As far as I know, Francis Ngannou, heavyweight champion of the world who does train at our gym. I see him mess around with the weights here and there. Yeah. Big guy, strong guy probably does some stuff on his own that outside the gym that I haven't been privy to, but, uh, as far as I know, there's not a whole lot of structure there with the strength portion of his program. Now he does a lot of conditioning work with my man, Eric Nixick. Um, 
But as far as like a structured strength program, I don't know if there is one. That's a thinker. I'm very confused by that. <laughs> He's very, yeah, very guys are, Some guys are just built different, man. <laughs> uh, yeah. Maybe. That might be the answer. Jeez. Oh, I, I got a couple examples of this. But before I do, uh, so when I was a strength coach at Drexel, we got a, a really strong heavyweight that came in. And we're taking through this, like, basically just the barbell, like a clean progression, the one that Boyle recommended. And it was like, you know, we're making sure they can front squat, making sure they can get in the rack position, making sure they can SLBL. And then we're showing them a high pool and the heavyweight goes away from the plane barbell to a bar with 185 pounds on it, gets in like the hang position and just upright rows it like nothing. And we're like, oh man. <laughs> yeah. he's like looking at us. He's like, is this it? And we're like, wow, <laughs> you're not supposed to be able to do that. <laughs> okay. But, uh, some examples of guys who, uh, didn't really do strength and conditioning marcelo garcia and he he advocated to a lot of his students of which i'm one that you know if you want to be the best at something he doesn't think you have time to put into a lot of other areas he thinks he thinks he he thought jujitsu will take care of all your conditioning like you just push the pace more in jujitsu and you'll develop the conditioning and people were like well you know like your butterfly guard is so strong because you have strong legs and he's like is my butterfly good guard good because I have strong legs or do I have strong legs because I play butterfly guard all the time. <laughs> and he would always kind of flip this on his head, but now he's had a lot of injuries as he's gotten older. And now he, he has conceded the last time I spoke to him about this, that he wishes he would have done uh, some stuff to keep himself healthy and more correct imbalances and deal with, deal with issues as they arise. Not so much from like a performance enhancement perspective, but from uh, like staying healthy to prolong your career, which I think is, should be the, the priority of, of any strength and conditioning program. Mm -hmm. Second example, which is only half of an example, but George St. Pierre, it's pretty famous. He has a clip where he says, I don't do strength and conditioning. Now for a long time, he worked with Chamberg and did a very traditional strength and conditioning program and excelled extremely while doing it. It was one of the, you know, most explosive and fittest guys to compete. And I think he just got tired of it and but he came up with another really smart approach that i like a lot in principle so instead of like he stopped doing like he did he, he wasn't lying he did stop doing strength and conditioning workouts in the way you would think of it and he started just going and training in other sports he started doing gymnastics like he would go to gymnastics practices and work with a gymnastics coach and do gymnastics at the same time he went to an olympic lifting coach and did olympic lifting like he's so he's, he wasn't doing a strength and conditioning workout with Olympic lifts in it for MMA. He was going and learning Olympic lifting from an Olympic lifting coach. He was going and learning gymnastics from a gymnastics coach and he would go to the track and work sprint mechanics. And like he was he was like training at like a low level track athlete, gymnast, Olympic lifter. And I think that just helped him stay motivated. He didn't view it as like, oh, I got to go do another workout. He's like, I'm going to go learn more about this new sport. And it kind of like. Oh, they were, those are all great sports to pick. And I think they benefited him tremendously. And I thought that was a really smart way. I don't even, I don't know if he consciously made that decision or just kind of happened, but I thought that was a very unique approach. And I've gone to the track with him and done those track workouts. Uh, I, I've never gone to gymnastics with him or Olympic lifting with him, but a uh, twist on the, uh, the idea. So mm -hmm. that's very interesting. So 
what, what would you say? He's still getting those, those movements in that are important just in different sport specific forms. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's I mean, it's, it's a little, it's a little different, but if it, if it keeps you more engaged and like, I mean, gymnasts are some of the best athletes in the world, right? Like, like physical attributes across the board. He's getting a lot of his speed and explosive work in track. Now, I don't know. I don't know about like multi-directional stuff, but he's also already like a super elite level athlete. So I don't know if you'd want to start doing this. This is very late in his career. Yeah. Starts shifting this. So there's a lot of uh, caveats there. It's a question I uh, always have is, oh, sorry, Gil, you go ahead. No, just jumping in on that, going back to your question about mistakes that fighters do. And, and that's another mistake you see is people trying to copy things that, that high level athletes do like on the tail end of their career and him talking about George, uh, George St. Pierre like that. Um, yeah, I mean, George was doing some really phenomenal things, uh, you know, the later part of his career once he started Olympic lifting, once he started doing gymnastics and he's working with the track coach. I mean, if you're going to cross-train in other sports, I don't think you could have picked three better sports to cross-train in to, <laughs> yeah. to make them for the shortcomings of your own. Um, yes. You're going to get really strong and really explosive doing the Olympic lifting. You're going to get really mobile, uh, great core stability, grip strength, uh, upper body strength, doing the gymnastic work, and you're going to get very fast and very explosive doing the track work. Um but then you get a lot of young guys who maybe are at the beginning of their career and they see George St. Pierre doing this stuff. And this is something that, you know, maybe he did it because he was just bored with the regular training. He was doing it to, you know, uh, look for a different edge or maybe just step up the intensive, whatever the reason he was doing it for. Now you get these young guys coming in and looking at what he's doing and like, Oh, I need to do what George St. Pierre's doing. I have to learn how to Olympic lift and I've got to learn how to do gymnastics and I've got to run track. Maybe, um, you know, I, I don't think there's, I don't think it's a bad idea to learn proper weightlifting technique. I don't think it's a bad idea to learn how to master your body weight in, in, uh, different movements. You won't see in a lot of other sports. I don't think it's a bad idea to be running sprints and doing uh, max speed work. Um, the problem you see though, is a lot of guys will try to mimic what he's doing and try to, and try to mimic the intensities that he does it at as well. And their bodies are just not prepared for it. Mm-hmm. Um, you see a lot of guys getting injured in ways that they probably shouldn't be getting injured in if they were to take a little bit of a smarter approach. Yeah. And I mean, at this point he's working with like professional Olympic lifting coach, professional the best. Coach, yeah. So like, so like, it's not like he's doing it on his own and right. like, doesn't know how to do stuff. So yeah. And who's going to be able to hire three coaches like that in the early in their <laughs> earlier in their career. So. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, yeah, it's something I always think of when you talk about someone like already being a good athlete coming into it, where does it come from? Uh, you know, how, how does that happen? You know, there's all these different types of athleticism, right? All these different attributes that people bring to the table. Um, I was fortunate enough to, to write a book about Joey Davis. So I talked a lot to him and his dad and I got the picture of his entire life. And that's someone who, if you guys are familiar with Joey Davis, that's, that's an like amazing athlete, you know, football and, and wrestling and MMA, um, just like all, all the attributes off the charts. And I got to see his whole life basically. And it's just like, he was fast was the first thing. And then that was, you know, invested in, and it was just a, the training over and over. But the, I think the biggest thing was he started training with Antonio McKee when he was five years old and was training like a professional athlete, like Antonio McKee was, he had him doing the exact same stuff he was doing when he was five up until, you know, his twenties. So I think, you know, long-term development is probably a, a really important thing for people you know, being 
uh, natural athletes coming into it, they've probably been doing these types of things their entire life, but they don't really see it as, oh, I've been training to be athletic. I've been you know, playing the sports. I've been doing the motions or whatever. So um, I'm sure genetics play a factor into what you're predisposed to in terms of which attributes are uh, developed higher or which ones you have a higher starting point at. But would you agree that you can take like pretty much everyone if you can get them early enough and, and turn them into an athletic fighter? Not everybody. Not everybody? You know, what are some I, of the limiting factors? I mean, you know, genetics do play a part in athletic development. There's just no way around that. You know, um, the younger an athlete starts learning the basics and gets a broad exposure to a lot of different types of athletic activity, uh, I think there have been studies that have shown that those those people and those athletes tend to develop and, and progress further along in their careers and uh, the majority of people do who only specialize in one thing at an early age, the exceptions being sports that are dominated by people at an early age, like gymnastics and uh, figure skating and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, but there are certain people who are just, they, they win the genetic lottery, man, and they're born with certain attributes that the rest of us just don't get. And that's just the reality of it. You know, some guys, they, they look at weights and they get huge and they get strong, <laughs> you know, some, some guys can take, you know, can never step off their couch and all of a sudden their buddies want to race you in a foot race and they're just blasting through everybody. You know what I mean? Um, some people are just built different. That's, that's just the way it is. The, the younger you can start and learn the basics. And like you said, you get that long-term athletic development where you're doing it balloons, are falling at me, <laughs> where you're doing it properly. And uh, under the watchful eye of a knowledgeable coach, I think you definitely have the opportunity and uh, to be able to progress further, progress longer, uh, have a, a much more um, long and robust career. Uh, for some people, there, there are some people that are on the opposite ends of the spectrum that uh, you can work hard and you, you, you can put in all the time and all the effort. And sometimes you're not, you're not going to be the strongest. You're not going to be the fastest. You're not going to have the best endurance. But also sometimes those people have that dog in them, man. Those people have just that fight and, and that willingness and the determination to show people, you know what, I don't have all the, the natural god-given abilities but i'm going to show you just how tough i can be those guys can be dangerous in their own right man mm -hmm. i i like to think of myself as one of those guys wasn't born as a tremendous athlete with any kind of athletic skill I was a great artist great at video games but <laughs> uh you know i didn't get into athletics until i was in my you know mid-teens um but i learned how to do things properly properly enough that i didn't uh hurt myself um and, you know, here I am still 20, 25 years later, still progressing and still getting better at this stuff. So sometimes all it is, all it takes is just a really stubborn person to show everyone else that you can do something they didn't think you could do. Zach, you probably have a bunch of interesting case studies. You started wrestling when you were a little kid, right? Yes. Yeah, so you've known a lot of these people through their whole athletic development and get to witness, you know, who starts where and who ends up where, right? Yeah. Like, so like he was saying, like, People come into to a to a new finally are going to have an organized strength and conditioning program and work on things that they never really did before, and you know you're going to get stronger and you're going to develop athleticism, but it take like it's a long term project. You're not going to do a six week program and all of a sudden you're a good athlete. It's not it doesn't work like that. This is years and years of development. Consistency over time is what's going to help. Now. Like this is a, this is, I'm stealing a Faraz as a hobby example here. But so like Faraz says like, if he 
Farasahavi was trained from a kid to be a sprinter and like learned all like the good, like how to start well and sprinting mechanics and everything. And Usain Bolt, you know, was like a normal fit guy, but never had any, any training in sprinting. If when they were both adults, they did a 200 meter race, Faras thinks he would get crushed by Usain Bolt. <laughs> His genetics does play a huge role, right? But sprinting is a different sport than MMA. Mm-hmm. The more, the more variability, the more complex a sport gets, the lower the physical attributes can play a role. MMA is super complex. There's a lot of thinking. There's a lot of outwitting people. There's a, there's a lot of different things I can do. So athletics or like just physicality torque plays a smaller role in those sports or should can than in a sport like sprinting where like, how much can I actually learn? I mean, there is obviously there's a lot, but like at the end of the day, it's a hugely genetic based sport versus technical nuanced, different approaches, misdirection, tricking people, all that stuff. So the more complicated, I think the, the less uh, physicality can play a factor. It's certainly an advantage to have, but that's qu- credit to for us. For the, so you're for saying there's hope. <laughs> there's hope. There's hope for you. <laughs> there's hope. I got, I got a very important question. I think it's on everybody's mind. I just saw Juan Archuleta get beat up uh, over five rounds, took a lot of clean shots. Can you train your chin? Uh, I guess I mean, I, I guess you got to define what that means, right? Um, Can you do training that will make you take punches better to the face? Kinda. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you can do things to, you know, make the structure of your body stronger, which, you know, the more durable you are because of quality muscle mass joint stability that kind of stuff like your body can absorb and dissipate energy a little bit better so yes in that sense you can make your neck stronger there are ways that people train their neck they've been doing it for years to be able to withstand impact from concussive blows that can help uh i think if people are training their their chin to resist impact i also would like to ask those people how much head movement that they do in training um (laughs) you know, let, let's cover, let's cover all our bases, right? Like, yes, you, you want to make sure that you're durable enough to be able to withstand some impact. You know, you make a mistake, things happen. Um, but do you keep your hands up when you spar? Do you move your head when you spar? Do you move your feet? I think that's equally as important. Um, I don't, I don't think that fighters can train their chin to where they're like rod tank from one FC and they could just stand <laughs> in front of guys and just absorb punches all day. Um, you know, again, that's just a, that's a thing that that guy does that I don't think anybody should be trying to mimic. Um, I don't know if a lot of people could, but yeah, man, it's like, it's one of those things. Like you want to do some of it as kind of an insurance policy. You want to do some of it to make sure that you're covering all your bases. You want to make sure that you're durable enough that, you know, worst case scenario, something bad happens. You need, you eat one on the chin. You have a little extra protection there to maybe, withstand enough of that impact that you don't get knocked out cold. Um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of one of those, like, that's a tricky thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, do, is there like a consensus about why people even get knocked unconscious from an impact to the head? As far as I know, I, they don't I, even know exactly why it happens. 
Yeah, you hear a lot of things, right? You know, to, to traumatic injury of the brain, your brain rattles around your head. You know, there's right. a Joe Rogan likes to say, oh, there's that nerve in the back of your jaw and your jaw slams into it and the lights turn out. Like, I don't even know if that's a thing because Joe Rogan's not a medical expert. But uh, yeah, I don't think there is a consensus on why it actually happens that way. Yeah. So I think I agree. No... I agree in principle. Like, then I think strengthening your neck can give you a better foundation to potentially take the shot from but your position plays a huge factor i think like just if you brace for an impact if i shrug my shoulders my head's probably much less likely to get like knocked around when i don't see it and i'm not ready that's when like nothing's braced that's i think that's when i can get more hurt than everything like if i see it coming and i brace like i don't i don't get jostled around as much now i'm not saying you can't get knocked out if you if you brace for it but i think those all are factors that play into it so I would train my eyes more to see stuff. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. You're, you're a reputable source, Zach. You've, uh, as far as I know, you've never been knocked out. I've been dropped, but yeah, not, not knocked out. out. Doesn't count. I, <laughs> <laughs> I got one more uh, weird, crazy question. Um, and I believe I, I got a tip. This is something you might want to talk about, Gil. Uh, does having big muscles make you tired? Jesus. <laughs> All right. So th this Dan probably asked this question yeah. because he saw me kind of going off on people on Twitter about this one. Um, so, okay. So backstory on this one. So I was watching the last UFC event, the one where they had all the fans back in, in attendance, which was really cool to see, man. Like, you know, all the, the COVID stuff and the political stuff aside, like seeing a crowd at the UFC fight was just, it was cool. And everybody that competed that night seemed to like step it up a notch. But during one of the fights that night, the announced team talked about one of the female fighters and how she had added strength and conditioning into her uh, schedule and like hired a strength coach and, you know, got stronger and put on some quality muscle mass, still was able to make weight, still did all that kind of stuff. But immediately, just like they do every time they bring up this topic, almost immediately they started casting it in a negative light. Is that going to make her slower? Is that going to make her less mobile? Is that extra muscle mass going to eat up her conditioning? And I, I tweeted out that I didn't understand why the announced team still to this day continues to cast strength and conditioning in a negative light. Why wouldn't a fighter want to be the leanest, strongest, most durable version of themselves? And I threw that out there into the Twitterverse and people jumped all over it and started giving me the whole, you know, oh, fighters with big muscles, it eats up too much oxygen. And I thankfully, the majority of people who responded back were actually really respectful. A few of them were. And I tried to communicate with them and it just wasn't going anywhere. So I just kind of put them on mute. I don't block people. They can go ahead and tweet to themselves if they want. But I just like, <laughs> I'm not paying attention to you anymore. Um, you know what, man? Like, it's it just it's one of these things where people still confuse strength and conditioning with bodybuilding, where if you lift weights, it's only for the purpose of getting bigger and not for the purposes of getting stronger or getting leaner or getting faster or even building better conditioning. And it drives me up the wall. It really does. You probably see that right now. I'm getting all amped up talking about it, but uh, does, does having huge muscles uh, hurt your conditioning? If you don't condition them, yeah. If you build extra muscle mass and that extra muscle mass doesn't come with a concurrent increase in strength, 
power or conditioning, depending on what it is you're trying to build that bigger muscle for, then yeah, you're just spinning your wheels. I don't think building bigger muscles just to have bigger muscles is something that MMA fighters should be doing at all. I think Zach kind of touched on that earlier where he doesn't spend a lot of time in hypertrophy phases with uh, his wrestlers or his combat athletes. If, if I heard that correctly, I think that's what Zach was kind of talking about. Um, you know, fighters have to fight at a weight class. We have to be a certain size. So gaining a lot of extra muscle mass to not be able to make weight is going to make you move up a weight class. And unless you're planning on doing that, we can't be putting a whole ton of muscle mass on these guys, but I think we could build enough quality muscle mass that it comes with a concurrent increase in strength and or power and or conditioning. If you're building more muscle and you're still getting tired, your conditioning sucks and you need to reevaluate for your program. You need to talk to your coach and you need to figure out what it is that went wrong in the process. Because if you're just building big muscle, just to build big muscle and nothing else gets better as a result, um, then yeah, you're going to get tired and you're probably going to get your ass kicked. Zach, do you have any thoughts on uh, size and conditioning? No, I think he's right. I think it has much, much more to do with like, like uh, obviously uh, if you're more like fast twitch, the thing is like people like McGregor or Jose Aldo, who I would like put in fast twitch category. They also are, they become aware of, what their physical advantage is and their style developed because of those. So they use their speed and explosiveness. And like, if you can drag Aldo out and make him use a lot of them repetitively, he fades. Like when I, we we're talking about this, in one of the other podcasts, if you can make Aldo get, get into multiple extended exchanges where it's not just, you know, him quick slip, rip, rip, kick, boom out. And you can like keep making him go. He, he fades. McGregor is very like he moves a lot. He's like in and out. He's and he's trying to react on a hair trigger. These are things that are hard to maintain as you, as you fatigue and everyone's gonna fatigue. You're fighting a professional fight <laughs> at, at at as much as much of your capacity as you can. Like you're not supposed to not get tired. You're gonna get tired. It's can you fight while you're tired? How much does that fatigue affect your performance? And I agree. Just being having more muscle isn't a problem if, if you've used it appropriately. I think the problem is sometimes a lot of those guys look muscular, like the fast twitch guys who fight with a quick explosive style and then just genetically aren't as gifted in inert in, in endurance. Now they should probably prioritize endurance a little bit more in their training, but they're never going to be like the same type of athlete as, as a Nick Diaz or something, but there's obvious, there's a huge contrast there, right? So I think, I think there's a multiple uh, variables that go into this point is what I guess what I'm trying to say. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This, this is such a, a complex topic for it, for MMA, like Zach talked about, man. Um, there's so many nuances, like the genetics thing that we, we were talking about earlier, Zach just touched on it again. Some guys are just not going to have the, the type of muscle fibers that it takes to have a high level of endurance and a high level of power, you know, a lot of times guys, uh, you know, certain guys at a high level. So for example, Mighty Mouse, when he was on his run in the UFC, Mighty Mouse to me is one of the best examples of what a well-conditioned fighter should look like. Um, he, you know, he was working with Joel Jameson for a long time, who was just a strength and conditioning guru. And Mighty Mouse had this great ability to move fast, explode, and then kind of settle back and reset and recover. So that way he can explode again. And he was doing, this repetitively over the course of five rounds. And he, he would look, he would look just as fresh in the last round as he did in the first round. That's 
it's not to say that he wasn't tired. That's not to say that he wasn't feeling any kind of fatigue because he was the sports tiring. Um, but he's conditioned himself in a way to be fast, be explosive, be strong, but then recover and kind of settle back down, recover uh, that the energy a little bit to be able to give me that same explosion and that, that same type of fast twitch response over and over and over again in the fight. He's like a perfect blend of like what a, a strength of power and endurance athlete should look like. But unfortunately, not everybody's Mighty Mouse. Some people are going to have more fast twitch muscle fiber where they're good for the first two, maybe two and a half rounds, Jose Aldo, Conor McGregor. And then you're going to have guys who can just fight at the same exact pace the entire fight without slowing down, like the Diaz brothers. You know, there's just, there's so many different body types. There's no one type of athlete in MMA. There's so many different things that go into this part of the game. It's, it's really hard to just tell people, like, there's only one answer to this question, you know? I was always curious about, I know Mighty Mouse wrestled when he was young and he ran cross country for a long time as a kid. And I always wondered how much that cross country background played into his ability to, to like, not just maintain his pace, but like, he's like also the fastest guy ever. So it was such a unique contrast. And I have run into these people, a couple of these people who are like, kind of like they break the rules. I think George St. Pierre is one of them. Like, one of the most explosive guys I've seen, but also great endurance. There's another guy at, at TriStar, Mandel Nalo. He's in Bellator. Same kind of thing, like crazy endurance, crazy explosive. And then to me, obviously, Demetrius is probably the premier example. And uh, I don't, I don't, they like break the rules to me a bit, like just how complete, like how explosive and fast. And then also pushing the pace and basically never slowing down. Um, yeah, these yeah. these guys are like the exceptions, man. They're yeah. they're they're different breed. They're they're different type of human being. That it almost seems like they're built for this kind of thing, right? I think I think uh, as far as I know, when they actually like went and tested GSP's like VO two max, it was like like significantly above normal. And I think it was like, I mean, obviously part of it was from his training, but he was he never trained as an endurance athlete, so. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's got to be at least somewhat genetic, I guess. Mm-hmm. I have no input. That's <laughs> 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 where, where your expertise shines through. Um, yeah, I just enjoy enjoying you guys riffing off of it. Um, I, I'm basically out of questions before I veer into territory of like, you guys should be charging me. Uh, for a lot of this information. Uh, so just uh, when you when you were invited on, on this podcast, were there any things that you were hoping to talk about or points you're hoping to get across that we didn't get a chance to cover? Nah, man, I, I think we, we touched on the, the important stuff, you know, the, the stuff that I think most people have the most questions about. Uh, I mean, just from that last exchange, the two of us i mean we could probably talk about this all night because there's just so many facets to this you know um but no i feel like we covered all our base i just hope that people will listen to this and if they are competitors i hope that this will just at least encourage them to go out and just gain some knowledge about this read a book um you know find a, a knowledgeable strength and conditioning coach ask them questions do a couple sessions maybe just to learn the basics you know strength and conditioning has a has a place in everybody's training schedule how much of a place it should take up is going to depend on a lot of different things. But I just think that I think everybody should have some knowledge, some foundational knowledge of the how, the what, and the why. 
Yeah, I, I'll say um, I think if if you're someone who just comes to the gym and kind of like randomly is like, oh, okay, I'm here to work on my strength. What am I going to lift today? You're just kind of randomly selecting exercises. You should try to get an organized, thought out program ahead of time where it's much more structured and give it time. And if you're another, if you're another type of guy who just comes in during training camp and they're like, all right, time to do strength and conditioning. Strength and conditioning is a long-term thing that takes consistency over time to build strength is no different than you couldn't just come in and train only your six weeks before your fight to develop your skill. You have to be working on skill all the time. It's no different. It's all the same. So be consistent, try a structured program. It's, it's huge. I tell people all the time, I'm like, you, you, you do good stuff. You just, you just don't have an organized system of putting it together. So you can like actually monitor progress and have a, have a way to, to de- develop yourself in a variety of these areas. Um, and then the last thing is that also remember, even though I think all that is very important that you're not, you're also not a professional strength and conditioninger, you're, you're a professional fighter or athlete or whatever. So that is the priority and strength and conditioning is important to supplement, but mostly to stay healthy and keep, keep your body in balance because we're in one stance all the time. Different, different things are different. My, my front leg is doing my back leg and my stance a lot more than the other. So I have to like constantly try to correct, correct these imbalances. Um, but it's, it's super important and consistency over everything. I'm just repeating myself. I think I, I think I covered it. <laughs> now, Zach, uh, that reminded me of a, a Mike Boyle quote when he talked about his athletes and lifting. He's he said something to the effect of, I'm not trying to create great weight lifters who are good athletes. I want great athletes who are good lifters. Yes. And, uh, I, I think it's a great way for fighters to be going about it. Definitely. I, I interned under, under Boyle, uh, in 2004 for a, just a summer, three month summer. That's awesome. Friendship up there. It was, it was great. Awesome. Cool. Well, I learned a lot. I think, uh, definitely a lot of encouraging, uh, information that you don't really need world-class facilities or, or anything special to, to be well-conditioned. Um, a lot of these guys are, are really impressive athletes, but I think a lot of it comes down to they are doing those the right things consistently and they're just training a lot. You know, their, their life is training and it, it adds up. Um, so that, that's that's the message I'm taking away from this. Also that I shouldn't do fasted cardio, um, which, is, <laughs> which is a bummer because uh, it's always worked better for me because I like if I eat like even like a few hours before, uh, intense exercise. I'll, I'll throw up. So <laughs> we just if, it, just... if it helps you, then <laughs> great. If it, uh, if you're not getting any results from it, then I would second guess it. I'm sure my diet could be better, but <laughs> we'll get into it. Uh, so yeah, thank you guys. Uh, Gil, do you have anything that you want to direct people to like social media profiles, like website, anything like that? Um, most of my personal social media is my personal stuff. A lot of stuff about my wife, my kids, you know, my own workouts and stuff like that. You can find me at Gil underscore Gardado on just about any uh, social media outlet. I do run the strength and conditioning page for extreme couture at extreme couture underscore SC. Uh, also, if people are interested in seeing some examples of movement pattern based exercises like squat, lunge, push, pull, hinge, uh, I did create a video library on YouTube that I use nice. to power a online training app that I, I run. Uh, so if you look up Coach Gill Strength and Conditioning on YouTube, there's a whole exercise library if people are looking for just some good basic examples of uh, strength and conditioning exercises. Go check it out. Um, subscribe. 
all that good stuff. Awesome. And Zach, you've got an article coming out soon about, uh, about loyalty to your, to your camp and your trainers, right? Uh, I mean, I, you, you tell me, I think so. I, I, I sent it in. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's going to be good. And yeah, 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 maybe there's some application here to, uh, people not wanting to seek out additional training if they're, if their situation isn't ideal, uh, because of, of factors like loyalty. So, uh, be on the lookout for that and anything else. Yeah, yeah that should be out. I don't know. This upcoming week. Probably some, probably <laughs> soon. Check that out. Give me your feedback. Uh, I'm currently fighting for Brave Combat Federation, and uh, they put on some good fights. So uh, check them out. Uh, I think they're uh, underperforming in viewerships relative to the quality of fights they have. And I uh, recently started running the MMA program here in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, at Finishers MMA. So if you're anywhere in this area, come check it out. You know, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty new. Like uh, we have a couple of amateur guys and people who are about to fight amateur, very good jujitsu practitioners here. So, uh, you know, we're trying, we're slowly just starting to build the team. So come check us out if you're in the area. I think that's it. Cool. I'll visit soon. Cool. All right. So let's wrap that up. Uh, we'll do more of these soon about other topics, but uh, Gil, you have a lot of expertise to offer. So if you don't mind coming back uh, other times, then we'll do right. more. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Anytime you guys want to have me back on, just let me know. All right. All right. See everybody next time.